Let's go. Let's go. Okay. It only took me like five Seven weeks to get this right. I'm here, you're there, <laughs> and vice yeah, versa. Yeah, we're here together in virtual wonderland. <laughs> oh, it's so good to see you. Isn't it nice that it's nice outside? Fuck yeah. Oh my God, fuck yeah. <laughs> I've, been in, I've been in 100% heaven for over 24 hours. I think I spent like, except for sleeping, I spent most of my time outside yesterday. Very nice. I did some yard so work. Nice. I did Me the same. Too. Yep. Oh, I didn't. No, I didn't. I lied. <laughs> <laughs> I did no yard work, actually. But Maya, you know how I hate walks. Yes. For the last two days in a row, uh-huh. I have beat my walk record per the Apple Watch. Oh. Of over an hour of walking each day. Oh, I thought you meant you just went faster. And I was going to ask you, are you just just trying to get it over with faster? (laughs) No, I've been, because Murphy likes to go swimming. So yesterday was the first swim of the season. Oh. So that was nice. Sweet for Murph. Mm Mm-hmm. I have, instead of telling you about my week, first of all, I want to declare this episode a no sadness zone, only joy. Yep, I'm super, 100%. I'm super excited about topics coming up, but I have to tell you, I have two animal reports. <laughs> okay, good. Are you ready for this animal report? I'm ready for animal report. First of all, the other night, I'm, I'm, I was laying down or I was just like almost about to fall asleep in the living room and Tyler runs in and he says, there's a there was a cat in the house. What? Yes, and I said, "What do you mean?" And he said, "There was a cat in the house." And then he shooed it out the back door, and I was like, "How did it get into the house?" <laughs> <laughs> there was a cat, just a random cat in the kit. Was it just in the kitchen? Just in the kitchen. Just- Wait, why? How? What? When? Where? Why? How? Well, we theorize that when Tyler went out to the back deck and it was night and it was dark that perhaps this sneaky cat oh my god <laughs> sneaked it in as he was coming in the house and then just was hanging out in the kitchen being quiet <laughs> lurking waiting as cats do as cats do so then Tyler at some point the cat sneaks in somehow is hanging out in the kitchen and then he comes back down, and did you just, like, see a cat in the kitchen? Yeah. And what did you feel like, What what's happening? At first, I thought, they've gone way too far with the simulation. Like, okay. whoever is running the simulation has <laughs> lost their mind. <laughs> okay. I'm picturing this as a black cat. Is it? No. It was small and Aww. gray and stripey. Aw. Did a- you think about keeping it? 
No, because I'm really allergic to cats. Oh, that's right. Yeah, of course. And it definitely belonged to someone because I'll tell you what, it it was very friendly. Like once we booted it out of the house and it was just hanging out on our deck, it was like trying to rub up against us and be like, hey guys, I'm not so bad. Meanwhile, Harrison has missed the entire thing because he's sleeping on the couch. <laughs> he doesn't... Like a good guard dog does. <laughs> And he kind of has allergies and allergies and stuff, so he hasn't even been sniffing around. Like, what's this weird cat smell? He doesn't even know anything has happened. Maya, do you remember the cat that used to visit my mom's house named Pierre Scruffé? <laughs> yes, I do remember Pierre Scruffé. <laughs> he had a little mustache. Yeah, and a goatee. One, hence the name. <laughs> Oh, I miss the days of Pierre Scruffé. He was great. We would feed him. He was so cute. And then, yeah. And then the second animal report is I was outside on the deck and it was maybe, I don't know, somewhere between five and seven. Like it was still light out. And a fox, a giant fox just came prancing into the yard. And it just like pranced around. And then it went to the gate. And pranced that way and ran across oh, the fence. Oh, that's amazing. It was so cool. I didn't have... I love foxes. I do too. And I th- it makes me mad when people get upset on Nextdoor. They're like, I oh. saw a fox. Hide your, hide your kids. Hide your wife. <laughs> hide your dog. Oh my God. In this in this next door, it's all the it's all about the coyotes. Coyotes, coyotes, coyotes. The Nonstop. Co- the coyotes of Plymouth. Yes. Um, Lease and late coyotes. Yeah, so I was excited to see the fox. Um, but then we did get an update on the cat on next door. What? Yeah, down what? the street. Someone was like, is this anybody's cat? And it was the same cat trying to weasel its way into someone else's life. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. I, I admire the tenacity of this cat. <laughs> it was a very, just, to be just fair. Just walking in. Just it, walk in. <laughs> just sauntered right in. To be fair, it was a very charming cat. And if I wasn't really allergic and... I mean, I think cats are disgusting, but yeah. if I didn't, if it weren't for those two things, I might consider it. <laughs> oh my God, funny. Um, so I kind of wanted to talk, like, I don't know, do you have any more updates from your week? I mean, I had a great week, just like I predicted last week. And remember, I said this week is going to be better than last. Yeah. Well, I had, a, I had an epic week. It was just great. I don't know. It might have something to do with the fact that I've completely stopped watching the news. <laughs> and also, yeah. I think I'm going to like this new world, Maya. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's it's growing on me. Do tell. And I'm I'm seeing the signs of like we're it's a different world that we're going to start and we're starting it and it's just like slow. Mm-hmm. But like we're moving forward and I think I think I'm going to like it. I love being able to drive and have someone bring the stuff and put it in my car. That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. Real time why saver. It, why it took a global pandemic to do this, I'm not sure, but I'm so happy with this change. Great. Yeah. So anyways, I had a good week, but I really thought that this entire episode yes. would be Mostly, yes. not mostly, but I think this entire episode needs to be yes. focused on the Beast- you know who the Beastie Boys, the Beastie Boys, of course. So we both, I watched the the Beastie Boys documentary dropped on Apple TV on like the twenty fourth. We watched it. 
I texted you right away. I was like, you gotta watch this. Yep. And did you watch it? I watched it last night, so it's fresh in my spirit and my mind. First of all, I have to say, watching it brought back so much of our, like, young life and all the fun times that we had, and it was like the soundtrack. It's basically the soundtrack of our lives, but I was thinking about them being, like, 15 years old and starting the craziest rock band ever and then having three huge like historic seminal albums by the time they're 22 yeah I think it's like um well a couple things my first takeaway is one is I didn't read the book and I actually just I somehow missed that there was a book so I think I want to go back and read that yeah at some point but also like when it started and I saw Ad-Rock and Mike D, I just was like, I was almost like speechless. And I was just like, whoa, because I just, it was amazing to me that they've gotten older. Yeah, they're so old. Particularly Ad-Rock. Like, I was like, uh, he looks like my neighbor Peter Shapiro from when I was growing up. Like, he, like, this is Ad-Rock, the, like, Ad-Rock, this is him. And, um... It was like, it wasn't like a, oh, wow, they're old. It was like a very, like, deep, like, whoa. It just kind of like, I think when you have that kind of, these songs in your soundtrack of your life, like you said, Uh and those, and that music was so much, like, those album covers, even looking at the album covers is just like, you know, an emotional, a full body experience. But, like, I think that you can freeze those people in time, specifically the Beastie Boys, yeah. because they stay out of like mainstream. Sure. So it's not like you see them all the time. You like actually don't see them unless they're performing. Yeah. And so like to see them just in the wild kind of not performing, like it's like it was a little bit like, whoa, it was kind of jarring for me and like a little bit like there was some like seriousness to me. And then also, of course, you couldn't miss that no MCA and it just like it was just like whoa so that was my first moment of seeing it tragedy that he's dead and he had a he had a cancer of the salivary gland yeah I didn't you know that was that was the other interesting part was I see they obviously had their reasons for choosing what they talked about and like they didn't go into like his whole cancer thing because that's not what it was about Mm -hmm. I get that but I was gonna go sometime and google like I don't really know a lot about his cancer like how long he had it or whatever but like yeah I I feel like I got to know him Mm -hmm. more than I than I had at all in the whole time because he was well I mean we assigned him as like the Pat was like him you know Mm -hmm. he was like the kind of more quiet like I don't know and like I like his smile I don't remember like getting to know his big smile and like I don't know it was just I really felt like I got to know him I felt like I had a pretty good handle on who Mike D and Ad Rock were, but like yeah. MCA was a little, like they said, he was a mystery man. So, well, Paul's boutique came out in 1989. So we were like 11 or 12 or something like that. And so we completely like missed it the first time around. And it was funny because I just saw uh, Jimmy Fallon had Questlove from The Roots interviewing, helping him interview. Uh, Ad Rock and Mike D about this. They're like, hey, you know, this thing's coming out, the book, blah, blah. 
And Questlove was like, I just have to tell you, he kind of fanboyed out on them. He was like, I have to tell you, Paul's Boutique was the greatest album ever made. It changed my life. And then Ad-Rock said, "Uh, you know what I'm sick of? Everybody telling me that it's the greatest album of all time. Why didn't you all buy it when it came out? Isn't that so funny? Because I, because what, go ahead, keep going. Here's my theory on that. I have a theory. Yeah. Because First of all, it was way ahead of the curve of alternative rap. Alternative rap wouldn't really sort of like become popular until the mid 90s. And so yes. 1989 was like too early for people. And also the people like you and I, who are like the perfect audience for this, were too young. Exactly. For it. So once we became the right age and the rise of alternative rap, a la De La Soul and Tribe Called yes. Quest and Diggable Planets, Planets, all of that stuff started yeah. to rise. Like people realized that it was this thing, this huge thing that was so important. Yeah. And also, like, I think our generation, like there was underground music, quote unquote, like in the 80s. Yeah. But alternative, as it were, did not go mainstream until our generation. Sure. Like, our generation brought alternative, quote, to being a genre and being, like, something that was, like, like you said, really happening. I mean, there was college radio. Yeah. There was underground in cities. There There was always, like, the underground music, whatever, scene in any time frame. But as far as, like, alternative music, like you said, it was, we were the perfect audience. Right. Um, and yeah, it was like actually so interesting too, because, well, okay. So Paul's boutique. So you know how they felt like it was such a masterpiece at the time and they really thought it was going to be something is like, almost like, it's like it was. So I'm happy that like, like you said, they were just too early, Yeah. but it was all of that stuff. Yes. All the blood, sweat and tears they put into it, all the creativity, all that stuff. Like it was all that. And it's so funny to think of them literally like putting this out. And then it's like, like they said, crickets. Yeah. And like you said, meanwhile, we were like playing mall madness at a sleepover <laughs> or girl talk. Girl you know? talk. Where you, so like, is that the one where you um, call boys? Yeah. How stupid. <laughs> it's a board God. game where you call boys. It's so Fuck stupid. That. That is so worthless. Calling boys is so worthless. Tyler, it did, will you, get, did you ever play Girl Talk? It will get you nowhere. Tyler never played Girl Talk at a sleepover. Good. <laughs> so Tyler was skateboarding and like listening, probably listening to the Beastie Boys. Right. So to be fair, here's two things. One, why do you think the Beastie Boys are so important to their, like, their mean, how do I say this? They seem to resonate with Gen X women. Yeah. Like, what do you think's behind that? I have some thoughts, but I wanted to hear what you think. I mean, the emotional connection that I have to them and everything that they did. And even, like I said, their album covers, like, the emotional connection. Like, I don't... Okay, so I guess some of my theories would... I mean, I've talked about this before, that time when I was picked up for a quote date. And it was (laughs) all the guys... And they were listening to Paul's Boutique. So do you I, do you remember telling me about it? Or did I hear about it from Tyler's brother, Carl? Because we all went to high school together. Yeah, no, I... Oh, Paul's Boutique? Yeah. I heard about it solely 100% through our guy friends. Yeah, so I can't remember if you were like, 
oh, I just listened to this. Because- I mean, I was definitely shook to the core. And I definitely, like, like I can remember sitting there in awe. And, like, in awe of the sounds I was hearing. In awe of how, like, I was like, yes, this is, like, actually the perfect music. Like, it felt, it felt to me like it was the perfect music. Because I loved, we loved hip-hop. We loved rap. But, like, this yeah. was different. It was just, like, so perfect. It was so funny. And it was – and then seeing all these guys that knew all these words, mm-hmm. it was like, these are my people and this is my music. Period. Right. And a story done. It's funny that you find, like, your music and your friends at the same time. Like, for a lifetime. But that – I think that's the thing is we were listening to a lot of, like, hardcore gangster rap. Yeah. And this was something different where they weren't pretending to be hard and they weren't pretending to be something that they weren't. They were talking about like egging people. Right. And And this is like Jewish kids from New York. And I think like, yeah, they were like, that was like how we were. It's like a a mix of music nerd meets hilarious person meets so much fun and like energy so much fun and like zero fucks given just doing zero fucks and the beats you know like like i think like that funk and the beat like it it was um it was the whole thing i don't know it was very it was lightning in a bottle it was so different like i said 100 percent different um than anything else i'd ever heard oh my god do you remember do you remember going so we our school probably our junior year because i think it came out in 94 our school had an open lunch program, so we, if you were, like, a junior or senior, you could leave campus and go to lunch. Yep. Which, by the way, you could still smoke in a McDonald's at that point. Yep. Like, they had those tiny weird ashtrays. Um, mm-hmm. But instead of going to eat lunch on open lunch, the day that Ill Communication came out, yep. all of us, you and I drove together, but, like, all of us, you and me and all of our guy friends, we went to Down in the Valley. Down in which yep. is kind of a combination head shop slash record store slash where you just it's the cool place to get music and we, it's in a strip mall of course you know like yep. um, how more american midwestern like perfect can you get so we drive you and i drive and that's when you still had your car before you got it taken away for driving yep. down my street on the lawns it was your 86 honda civic civic <laughs> and you yep. and i were dying to get we drove all the way to Dallin valley we got it and we I bought it on cassette because I don't even think I don't know if CDs were a thing yet and the cassette was green and I remember thinking how cool are they that they have a green cassette. Okay, I had the CD. Okay. So CDs were a thing. They were a thing but not in the car. So that would make sense why you you probably got the tape and I did the CD. We did a multi-pronged approach. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure I I mean I can't I can't say that for 100% certainty, but I have a feeling that was the plan. Okay, so do you remember how excited we were that you were so excited that you forgot that there was a median? In yes, front of the- we drove over it. <laughs> and of course, Carl was watching. Of course. Tyler's brother was watching you. Everybody was watching. First of all, when the, the clearance on that car was very low. It made a really bad sound. And then we're talking about those medians that they put right in front of parking. Concrete. You're not supposed to drive through. It's supposed to keep you from... It's the shape of, like, a concrete trapezoid. Yeah, and then you just thought you could pull through because you forgot it was there, and then you just pulled right up on top of it. And then it was, like, one of those quick decisions, which clearly, (laughs) as evidenced by other stories, I wasn't great at because clearly, as we know, our minds were like a boy. 
But anyways, it was like, do I keep driving over this or do I back <laughs> over it? And I think I chose to just keep going. You did. <laughs> I was like, and, and this in perfect fashion of what happened a lot of times, I was like, Amy, 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 what's what are you doing? <laughs> That's happening. And then I just kept going and it like the sound of metal a ton, like a however much of a car weighs like a ton of metal yeah scraping over a trapezoid of concrete block right. doesn't sound good no but you know it didn't dampen our spirits because then what did we do with telecommunication Maya do you we, remember yeah I remember we went directly back to the school we all went to the music room we put it in and we started we played it yes and so that was probably like I mean oh that was, was like was and then that kicked off like that it was like that kicked off the ill communications era yeah, so then, okay, did you watch the part of the documentary where they said Lollapalooza in Minnesota? I sure did. And then, did your heart get a little fast and excited? Yes. Okay, so, uh, looking at the footage, are we in this documentary or not? I don't know, but I I have to say I did some extra Googling yeah. before I saw it, because after what you said. Yeah. I mean... There's a good chance. There's a chance. Because I see a, a sea of shirtless guys and then two brown heads. Exactly. <laughs> two dark, dark heads. <laughs> and we, as we've t- covered in previous episodes, we sat in that pit for a lot. We got to Lollapalooza and we were sec- in the second row behind two lovely women who yes. were there just to see George Clinton. And when the mosh pit started, one pulled up Mace. So they got kicked out. So yes. we were up front-ish. For the entire show. Yeah. We didn't leave to go to the bathroom. I mean, what was amazing was that it, did it not like, did it not like strike your heart when they said Minneapolis in 1995, Lollapalooza, like the fact that that show like had some sort of a meaning for any memory meaning for them as well. It just like shows like the energy of us sitting up there waiting for them and like how much we wanted to see them and you almost um, getting knifed because yeah that- <laughs> and then and then you sent me that um, snippet from Carl's yearbook that said I was saying that they needed to get their Lollapalooza tickets yeah like yeah. it was just like whoa I don't know it was so Tyler's was- brother sent me um, his yearbook where Amy had written in his yearbook and it says basically. First of all, you mentioned sabotage for no reason. Yes. But, and then you said, and we'll get to this, because I think this is a direct line. You can draw a direct line from the Beastie Boys to um, Tyler, Tyler's brother Carl, his band, with all our friends in it, the Dirt Brothers. We'll get to the Dirt Brothers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's a direct line, and I think it's like one of those things where you just, music is so amazing, and it inspires you to like make your own thing. But you said you wanted to be the fan like the president of the fan club and also uh, the manager you, and the manager <laughs> of Which the Dirt so Brothers funny. and then their band. <laughs> and then you said, and then you command, you basically commanded, said, get your tickets to Lollapalooza. We're all going together. Yeah. Um, and the Beastie Boys played second to last. And then we both got lifted out of the pit toward the, yeah. you know, the very last song. And then. We left before the smashing. I wasn't into the smashing pumpkins. Sorry, no, sorry, not sorry. You know what? We've seen that. We saw them again. We saw them in the block party. We've seen them. Yeah, we were there for the Beastie Boys. Let's be honest. Smashing pumpkins at that point were performing all the time. I feel like, don't you think? Yeah. Also, they didn't change my life. So 
no, they didn't change my life. And they were great. They were fine. But like, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So it was... it's a possibility that you and I, I tried to freeze the frames. I was like. So did I. It was very hard because then like the bottom bar kind of covers those girls. Yeah. When you pause it. I don't know. Um, yeah. So. Uh, okay. So then what's next? Oh, one thing that about ill communication that I didn't realize at the time. And I don't know if you did. Yeah. When they were describing how check your or ill communication and check your head. Yeah. That's the album, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Check your head and ill communication. They said like ill communication was basically just like a continuation Mm -hmm. of check your head. And it was so funny because like I didn't really realize that until they said that. Uh I, I never I never thought of that. I'll have to listen to them back to back. Oh, wait, the Amazon guy is coming. So Harrison might lose his mind. One second. Sorry, I didn't want you to be saying something okay. important, and then somebody gets. Oh God! Animal report. <laughs> Animal report. The report is a package has been delivered. Yes. So what was they saying? Oh, so what I was gonna say is, you know what I think, and I was thinking about that. And it's like we listen to those CDs like so much. Like, like I know you're the same. Whereas, like, I could hear any Beastie Boys song, and as soon as it's done instantly I go my mind goes right into the next song like Mm -hmm. that was on the album right but what I was thinking about is I think that's more of a reflection of being young and how time is like kind of stretched out for you because I remember listening to check your head but I don't remember it as like I don't remember ill communication it seemed like a long time that we were waiting for ill communication I guess is what I mean I think we were and also that's when people used to listen to albums straight through as albums. And so that's not a yeah. thing anymore. And so, of course, I don't think people have that experience anymore when you hear a song and then you know what the next song is. And that's constructing an album. Sturgill Simpson has talked about this. Constructing an album is an art. And it's not just like putting all the songs so people can listen. It's it takes you it's supposed to take you on a journey. Exactly. And so and that, like it did take you on a journey. Yeah. And I'm sad for people. Although, like my son, when he, when a new when a new album drops, as the kids say today, he goes and listens to the like goes in his room and mm. listens to the whole thing. Well, so I think the kids do do that, but not like it used to be that if you liked Madonna or you liked the Beastie Boys or whomever you liked, yeah, you would go get that album and you would have that every single line in those liner notes you'd have memorized. Oh yeah. You would sit there and be like, oh, my God, they thanked Julie. I wonder who that is. You think that's so-and-so? Like, I mean, you would just, like, and you'd listen to it, and you'd just pour over those, like, liner notes and the art. And, like, it was a full experience. And like you said, it was an art form to put together an album. And not to sound like, of course, like, we're old and now, and, like, it sounds so cheesy to say it. But, like, it is. Like, it's just not the same. No. It is. You know what my favorite story from that doc- first of all spike jones and the bc boys as they are now have reinvented the rockumentary like this was a weird combination of live experience and documentary and yeah I think and like- i have to s- go well, ahead well i thought it was super successful like i was skeptical and then i kind of liked the idea of them like telling their own story in real time and also mm-hmm. having feelings and emotions in real time and 
you know, things not going right with some things and just having it be sort of this tightrope walk that they're doing and they're filming. They're like, here it is. This is it. Yeah. So it was interesting that you say that because I, so I didn't know anything about this. I thought it was going to be a normal documentary. Right. I didn't know that it was that set up. And I have to say that I agree with you because I loved seeing their reactions and hearing, I want to hear those inside stories and I want to hear them like when they show a picture and then they just like laugh and then they show their American bandstand performance and they're just like (laughs) laughing so hard because they're like, we were just fucking clueless. We were, look at us. Like we're ridiculous. I love when they were, he was like, you were threatening Don Cornelius on Soul Train. You were straight up threatening him. Yes. And I love that part. But what I didn't like my, what I really bugged me I have to say kind of don't get me wrong this is like precious like precious like material this documentary Mm -hmm. but if I'm being critical the thing I didn't care for was the teleprompter stuff because you could tell they were reading in a lot of it and I'm sure they were reading straight out of the book which I get that yeah Yeah. but that for me was like they're not good actors let's just say that (laughs) you know what I mean they as made clear. as evidenced by Ad Rock's part, which was hilarious. What was that movie re- called again? I don't even. I've never even seen that no. movie. But the way he honestly, asked- if we haven't seen that movie, yeah, then you know it was a bomb because we would have been like, if we would have known about that, we would have been like, oh my god, Ed Rock's in a movie. We got to watch it. We you have know? to watch. We should probably try to find it. The my favorite story in the whole thing. And sorry, everybody, that we're spoiling this for, for everyone. I guess just pause and go watch the thing on Apple it's TV. It's not a spoiler because it's true what happened, right? Sure. My favorite story is when they talk about they're renting that weird house in the Hollywood Hills. So funny. Making um, Check Your Head. And, and those clothes. They find the closet, the locked closet, and they're like, of course we need to bust this down and find out what's in this locked closet. And it's just a menagerie of this Hollywood ladies' amazing outfits from the 70s. The 70s. Like patchwork trench coats and these right. crazy hats and Fur feathers. hats and vests and, and of feathers course, and their bell bottoms. Logical next step is we are going to wear these clothes all the time for everything that we do. I mean, that was just sheer... Like, again, that was, again, like, that just resonated because that's, like, exactly what our guy friends would have done, right? That's exactly what we would have done. That's what you and I would have done if you, if we, first of all, it would have been your idea. It would have been my idea. (laughs) You're like, this closet's locked, and I I would probably say, well, Amy, it's probably locked for a reason. There's probably something weird in there. And I would have been like, right, all the more reason. If there's something weird in there, we need to see it. You'd be like, let us in the closet. And then I would have been like, we'll fix it later. Don't worry. <laughs> and you wouldn't have got wanted to do it. But then once you saw what was inside, you would have participated. That's the good course. thing about you, Maya. Is <laughs> like, you do your due diligence. And then you're like, okay, then I'm just going to join. We're in. We're already, it's already you're, happening. Yeah. Let's you're like, you it. know, I'm not going to be like some people where they like, just won't even participate. Whatever. <laughs> no, you're like, I've already told it was a bad idea. And uh, now there's no choice but to join. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my other favorite part of that is when he talks about being at that um, Hollywood party and he hears the music of the Dust Brothers and he like yes. the Pied Piper walks over and is like, what is this? And then it becomes like begins this magical musical 
odyssey that just becomes that was everything yeah. like the dust brothers and the beastie boys joining together yeah was just that next like you said i mean it became just the sound that's the sound of like the modern beastie boys and like no no more of like a perfect collab could have been between dust brothers and beastie boys um so another thing that was interesting to me is I had I didn't know that about the like Rick Rubin Russell Simmons of it all oh, I did you not didn't realize know that? no I didn't realize that there was like bad blood there I just remember I remember that they were on Def Jam and then that was Grand Royale but I didn't like ever know about that like falling out which I, I thought was really interesting and really speaks to the fact that both of those guys Russell and Rick are like first and foremost businessmen. Mm-hmm. you know businessmen and like visionary and like business people that just want to like you know aren't like so concerned about the art more so like of where it could get them yeah i think i mean i think rick rubin he does these things where he he gets people like he get got johnny cash to do that acoustic album covers um yeah american something one volume one through and that he has this way of like getting people to do things as a producer that they wouldn't necessarily think of doing as an artist for themselves and it's usually pretty successful but he also does he he looks like he's in a cult and he wears a caftan and he you know like there's just something bizarre yeah you know (laughs) i think he's probably like a total narcissist and like he's there's something, like you said, I mean, there's something wrong with him, basically. <laughs> but that's, aren't there some, isn't there something wrong with every successful CEO? Yes. And the thing is, what you said about Rick Rubin is true. He's like, Russell Simmons and Rick Rubin were a freaking bang up combo, really. <laughs> because it- Russell was like the business, plus he had the street cred. And it's kind of like they said, having Russell Simmons endorse you at that time back in the day was like there was nothing else because like here he is he's this they come in to see him they told the story of coming in to see him in his office in new york and it's like grandmaster flash is like trying to learn to break dance (laughs) and like you know all like and he's a brother of the of rmdmc of run dmc it's just like at that time he was everything and he had the street card that they needed to kind of take off in that like hip-hop whatever rap genre they well and were at in. the time like there like there just wasn't their acceptance into the hip-hop community is pretty i don't think i've ever heard anybody in hip-hop say anything terrible about the beastie boys and their music nope and it probably has something to do with like the rick rubin um russell simmons stamp of approval early totally. early totally. on but also because there was no there was no here's these guys what do you think? It was like, oh, these guys are with us now. Yeah. You know, and it was just there they were. And then they were just everywhere and they were just gigging and they were. And um, also not trying to be hard. No. Uh-uh. Like anything hard that they say is ridiculous. Right. I thought that um, I also like it was interesting to me because their feelings and that what happened in the evolution of like fight for your right to party is like. That was always my, like, least favorite Beastie Boys song. And, like, it's just always been that kind of, like... Party bro. Yeah. And it's always been kind of, like, it's... What is it about, like, 
the music, if you really love an artist, it's like it becomes a mystery to you if you don't know anything else about anything except for the art. It becomes a mystery of why is that song on the radio and not right. X, Y, and Z and Q and P and Q, R, S, T. Like, <laughs> it was like so mysterious at the time to me of like how that was the mainstream song that everybody liked. I know it was on the radio, but like at the time, of course, I didn't understand like the business of music and how, but I just, it was like. I think it's because it's palatable to a white audience. They were yeah. trying to cross over hip hop. That That's why Run DMC collaborated, collaborated with Aerosmith because it had that sort of crossover appeal to mainstream radio that was not playing hip hop. They weren't playing black right. music on the radio really no so and it's funny because at the time i remember okay so as a beastie boys stan i <laughs> felt that i felt that like the song was supposed to be ironic right and i felt that it was ironic but then i always felt like it was ironic too yeah i always was like i always would sing it and any joy or like ex or fun that I would have, like singing it or listening to it, was through that lens. Like it was so like you wake up late to school, man, you don't want to go. It was just so cheesy and silly and ironic. <laughs> but then there was something in the way I was like looking when I would look back at like anything footage from that time frame when I was like, but was it ironic? Which speaks to exactly what happened when they wrote that song and when they first performed that song and the behind that song, it was ironic yeah. and it was like making fun of party boys. Then they turned into the party boys, right. which was just like such an interesting part of the documentary because it did answer a lot of like, like kind of confusion that I have looking back. So it was really interesting to hear them report that like, Yes, we turned into the party boys. Things got like ridiculous and we had to like stop what we were doing. Well, there's here's what I so I've been like geeking out. I sent you that playlist that has Ugh. Paul's Boutique and then it has every track from Paul's Boutique and then after that track it has all of the songs that are samples inside that track and it's so amazing. such a good playlist on Spotify. I'll put it on the page for the this episode. Yeah, I wrote back like I love the internet because like <laughs> That is something that, that's just, I love that. I mean, some of them are real bangers. I started a new playlist taking from that playlist called Funky Party. And <laughs> it, it is so good. I can't wait to, I mean, I don't know if I'll ever be able to have a party ever again in IRL. <laughs> but if I do, I'm going to play my new playlist, Funky Party, that I've been making. Oh my it's God, my so, so many good 70s songs on it. I want to come to that party. Um, you'll be the first invited, friend. Okay, I can't wait. And there'll be a lot of dancing. And there's going to be a lot of dancing and wardrobe beyond. <laughs> Fashion beyond. I can't wait to see your outfit. <laughs> okay, I'm going to start planning it. But, I'm going to um, start curating it. The, yeah, that's the thing. So the Beastie Boys, like you said, like we alluded to earlier, they completely influenced like us. They influenced our friends. You know, our friends started a band. And it was mm -hmm. this sort of like had that sort of 70s funk instrumental sort of reaching back to like when music was really funky and cool and just like modern spin on it, whatnot, real instrumentation. And also like the process of which we were 
with them as they were creating this music, like day in and day out, we were just there. The process of like letting the vibe, like catching a vibe and like letting it take you somewhere, wherever it would go. Like that was what was truly, to me, what was so cool was just like being right there as they create something and transition into this key or do this thing or, and watching that happen and then like going with it. And that, that's what the Beastie Boys did. And that's what our friends did to your point. Yeah, remember when, okay, so we talked about, when we were talking about First Avenue, you said, I know there is a show where I had to get dropped off, but do you think you're thinking about the time that we went to see um, their band, the Dirt Brothers, adorable? I was like, that seems really close to... <laughs> to I remember that later, yeah. yeah. Um, but we, they had a show at uh, First Avenue, 7th Street Entry, and we weren't yep. old enough. To get in, I think it was like 18 and up, you had to be. And so yeah. if we brought a parent, we could yeah. get in to see our also 17-year-old friends play. Yeah, so actually, Maya, that's true. And I was telling Warren this story yesterday, trying to – when Maya sends me a picture of our moms <laughs> in the 7th Street entry. And it's the best photo ever because it's like our moms and like Pat's parents and our friend Kelly's mom. And, like, they're sitting in the 7th Street entry with, like, their water cups. And behind them is, like, of course, a graffiti wall. And it just looks so funny. It looks dirty and they look kind of uncomfortable. So I have to tell you. Your mom is looking at my mom. My mom is smiling. My mom was having a great time, I'm sure. But, like, what was so funny is Maya, yes, it was not an all-ages show. I'm sure I know it was on a weeknight because why would our friends, why would the Dirt Brothers be able to play the entry if it wasn't? And the thing is, we only got to go to the show with our parents because we were with the band. Right. Okay. It wasn't like, it wasn't like, oh, anyone, if you have your parent. No, it was because we were with, quote, with the band. So that's funny. I didn't remember that part. Yes. This is what I remember is that somehow I talked my mom into this. I know. I couldn't believe it when I saw Georgianne in the picture. I was like, wow. That is not, that was not her jam. But this is what happened when we walked in. So Carl and I were texting back and forth last night. He's like, do you know how to figure out what day that was? What year and what day? And I said, First Avenue has an archive of every single lineup of every single show. So I would go in the main room that night was Cannibal Corpse, the band Cannibal Corpse, which is a hardcore (laughs) death metal situation. And I'll tell you more about that in a second. But I said, look for Cannibal Corpse in in the 94, 95. And in the photos, you're... Um, his dad was wearing shorts and everybody's in short sleeves. So I'm like, warm weather months, that should narrow it down. And then I was like, we should start a detective agency because, yeah, I was all over it. I was putting the clues together. I should have something on the cork board right now with some red string drawing some connections. Yes, you should. (laughs) So Cannibal Corpse was playing and my mom and I, I at that time did not know there were two separate entrances, one for the main room and one for the 7th Street entry. So we walked in the main room entrance as Cannibal Corpse is playing. Oh, no. And I remember this story now. <laughs> and exactly, you know what they said? Exactly yes, as we walked tell in. tell me, tell me. The lead singer goes, do you guys like knives? Do you, do you get, like to get fucked with a knife? <laughs> do you want to get fucked with a knife? And my mom just looks at me. She goes, nope, nope, not doing it. And I said, no, 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 no. This is not my friend's. This is something completely different. I'm so sorry. Um, no, this, 
it's a nice instrumental. We're going to go over here to this area, to the 7th Street entry. You know, meanwhile, they're putting big black X's on my, both on the backs of my hands because I'm a minor, you know, so Mm -hmm. that we're not allowed to drink. So then Carl texted me and said that when he was doing, when they were doing the sound check. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, his parents were there. Yep. His, um dad and this is what they heard from cannibal corpse are you ready yes okay one second one second one second sorry 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 did you guys go in which door did your i don't remember but i just remember that um so i was so we were so invested in the dirt brothers like they were our like heart and soul and all i remember about that performance well (laughs) i remember the performance but all i remember about with relates to my mom is her after and me being like, what did you think? What did you think? Like, aren't they just oh, like the best? Aren't they just everything? And my mom is like, I wish they had more words to their song. And I was so mad. I was so mad. Okay, so he said Cannibal Corpse. This is what his pr- parents heard while sound checking. When I come, I come blood. <laughs> It's like the last thing after you spend so much time talking to your parents. Convincing your parents that it's fine and it's safe and it's amazing there. And then also for future outings there, it doesn't bode well, right? For next time you're asking mom and dad if we can go down there on a Sunday night. No. The answer is no. Um, So should I play like a little excerpt? Yes. Okay. Um, So this would be the Dirt Brothers live at First Avenue. In the 7th Street Oh, wait. Before this, I want to tell one quick story. So before we um, went to the show, our friend Pat, who's in the Dirt Brothers, gave us a lecture, specifically pointed at you and I, Mm -hmm. saying, listen, no screaming at the show. Please. What a jerk. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't want us to embarrass him by screaming. You guys were freaking lucky to have us, let's be honest, okay? For all the shit we put up with and all the way we supported you in many ways. So then when you listen to this track, listen to the end, and it's just screaming. But it's messy. We're having a little dance party here. John Hurstein, damn. (laughs) Wait, who's on the saxophone? Ben Leggett? Yeah, Ben Leggett. And Sean Hurstein, though. Isn't he involved? I don't remember. He's a rabbi now. Mazel. Meanwhile, your mom's just thinking, I wish there were words to this song. Oh, good. I'm jamming my ass off, and she says, I think there are more words. What in the world?
was you, by the way. That was totally okay. you screaming. Asking me not... <laughs> asking me not to scream at a Dirt Brothers performance is like asking me to not breathe while I'm asleep. That's just not happening. Okay? It's not going to happen. And you know what? It's also like when my dad asked me and wouldn't let me go swimming off the fishing boat. Like, that's just... No. No. I I, I can't. Yeah. Oh, it's not that's... like you were intentionally like, now I'm going to scream. The screams just come out of you. No, I can't help that. That's the thing. Yeah. Exactly, Maya. Thank you. I can't help that. I can't control that. And the natural state of a 17-year-old girl is just to be screaming. Yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. Dancing, singing. Dancing, singing, yeah. and screaming. Um, I will share with another fun Dirt Brothers story. I mean, there's a million, but the one that I think of specifically related to the music was one night when we were at somebody's parents were out of town. It was like, I think his name was Faro Miss Jensen. <laughs> his parents were at the um, cabin or, or not. Like, I don't know. I don't really remember. It might have been someone else. It might have been another Carl. It was probably the Astons. Anyways. Um... <laughs> We were there per the huge. We were having so much fun. They were jamming. We were there. And do you remember that I played the tambourine so hard that I woke up with my thumb in between my hand and my thumb? I woke up with a blister that was literally, <laughs> I can't even explain to you what this thing looked like. It was like, it was ridiculous. Okay. You, you played ridiculous. the tambourine too hard. I played the tambourine too hard and for too long that I had like this freaking huge ass blister in between my thumb and pointer finger just from that. And that's the sheer passion from which the screaming came. <laughs> so I think like, I just want to, I just feel like there was something about music at the time. And I don't know if it's so much now. There's something about music now where it it is very accessible. Like anybody can make music on their computer because there's so much technology that can make your yes. house sound like a recording studio. And we totally. didn't have all of that back in the day. I mean, no, and like even just the mixing, right? Like anyone can be a quote producer now. Right. It's like it didn't take an artist. I mean, a good one today, of course. I'm not saying like a good one, but what to your point, it's like anyone can do that. Anyone can mix things together. It democ it democratized the making of music. But back then it's sort of like you you know, if you were inspired to make music Yes, Harrison, what are you trying to say? You you wanna make music, but you can't because you don't have opposable thumbs. <laughs> I know, you're very upset about it. I am too. <laughs> Oh, God. Um, That's all it, we need is Harrison making music. Oh, uh, it democratized. Oh, jeez. Do you want to get him something? Get him a culinary treat. <laughs> culinary delight. So, technology democratized. Uh, I can't even talk today. Democratized the making of music. But there's something about analog recording. I think a lot of people are getting back to this. Like, I remember... I think it was the Foo Fighters that Dave Grohl was talking about making an album and he said, no, I want to record all of this analog. And they were like, you can't do that. And he was like, watch me. I can do whatever I want. And also, yes. this is, you know, people, six guys in their basement recording uh, like audio 
analog, there's something magical about that whole time. I'm just going to declare it. 1994 and 1995 were like the best years ever. Yeah. And you know what, Maya? Also, to your point, like the artists make the music. They want to make this music, right? They're driven to do that. And yeah. like the yeah. process of it, it comes through when it is that. Like yeah. It's, yeah. it's not the same when you have, it's just not the same. And what did you think of that freaking setup? That Yauk set up with the tape, whatever it was called, where it went around two mic stands. That was like, when I saw that, I just went like this. Whoa. Yeah, that's audio alchemy. Like, he had a reel-to-reel, which, first of all, that was hard to get back then. I don't even know where that, try getting one now. Reel-to-reel tape, and then he had wound it around two chairs and it was this whole system, and it the way it was. It was like, (laughs) it was that part. Yeah, so there's something about, like that sort of audio alchemy that doesn't maybe happen as much anymore where you're experimenting with like the physical making of things and manipulating sound. You can still do cool stuff in a computer. I guess I'm I'm sounding like a jerk where I'm like... That was Shadrach. That was Shadrach. So if anyone listens to that song, there's like that cool sound that I tried to imitate, but I can't. That was from that tape thing. Like, it... Like it <sighs> I loved that they were like, that Yauk was like such a man of mystery and he would do this and the Dalai Lama. And then like, I loved when they were like, and then somehow he knew how to play the upright page. (laughs) Somehow he was a master. Like he literally all of a sudden, there he is playing it. Like, I just love that. Well, I think, do you think we've covered enough about the BC Boys? The one thing I'll leave this with is I was going through the discography and I was listening to different songs and I realized there's like three albums that I haven't listened to. Yeah, I think I'm the same. After um, Hello Nasty, I think I dropped off a little and I would love to go back. And you know what I think about is I think right now, and I've noticed this in myself and I've heard a couple other people mention this, nostalgia right now is just where it's at. Yeah. Like, it's just where it's at it's for us. It's everything. And honestly, having the nostalgia, having the music to go back and listen to, put your headphones on and go on a journey back in time yeah. and have the same sensation, an emotional feeling, like you can practically smell a smell. You can practically, like, you can put yourself exactly where you are. And having that opportunity right now has just been everything for me. I've been revisiting movies, but like this Beastie Boys documentary was was what that was. And I think Alicia Adams, our buddy, put it the best way when she said that this documentary is like a Gen X wet dream. <laughs> approved. <laughs> approved. Well, I mean, I do have some things for approved denied, but we don't have to do that this week. We could just like end on what we learned that I think that we should leave it as is because this is just like all about our it's a a reverence to the Beastie Boys. It's a love letter to the Beastie Boys. And if you're listening, feel free to come on anytime. Sauce Nation loves you. Yeah. And also the Dirt Brothers. Long live the Dirt Brothers. Well, maybe we can for it's always been my dream for like my 50th birthday for them to reunite and play on my back deck. My God, I would die. <laughs> and then you and I can just scream the entire time. Oh <laughs> my God, we have to wait till you're fifty. Well, it this might take that long. Everything. It might take that long to find two of those guys in the oh, world. True, but yeah. 
I don't know. Maybe we'll find him sooner, and then you will be the first person on that invitation oh my list. God, this is great. I can't. I can't wait. <laughs> I'm there. Well, what did we learn this week? We learned that the best thing you can do for yourself is go back and revisit something that just you know gave you life at any point in your time. At any point in time, yeah. go back and revisit it and. Um, I think that we learned that we feel like really lucky that we were 94, 95ers because I think it was just a great time to come of age. Yeah. Thanks, Beastie Boys. Thanks, Beasties. We love you. We love you. <laughs> You're the best. High five. High five. <laughs> Go enjoy the sun. Okay. You too. Goodbye. Okay, bye.